0: Chapter 10 That night, Brooklyn was unusually quiet, streets empty. The eerie silence was interrupted by two sets of footsteps, hers and mine, echoing one another. She walked along in high heels. I wore the alligator cowboy boots that I got on the black market in Yugoslavia, which were now part of my standard Bacchanalian uniform back in the days when I frequented the hole. A mystical full moon owned the night, the world had turned pale except for her purple dress and yellow high heels. Couldn't take my eyes off her figure. I x-rayed her silhouette, trying to imagine the hidden treasures beneath her clothes while my nose caught a whiff of her luscious perfume. Never before had I been so aware of men's kinship to our four-legged Canis lupus brothers hunting deer in the wild. Suddenly I was a lone wolf with a hypersensitive nose smelling the world through her tracking her scent, listening intensely to her every footstep my ears tingled and pricked up. They were suddenly covered with fine fur, and I started howling. I heard the howls from inside, but just like back in the hole, my mouth formed the shape it needed to cry out a mournful shriek, yet nothing audible actually came out. All I could hear was the clicking of her high heels and the sound of her dress rubbing up against her legs. The rest of the world didn't really matter. Not even me turning into a wolf mattered. Useless questions flashed through my mind. Who was this woman? Who was she turning me into? Was it going to come out of this night alive? Answers were meaningless. In that moment, the truth no longer meant anything. That moment was the only truth that mattered. We turned from Hicks Street onto Love Lane. Gotta be kidding. The street name was right out of a B-movie. She glanced back at me every so often to make sure that I was still on her trail. That's when I noticed a childlike smile spreading across her face. It was as if she couldn't believe her good luck, like a little girl who was about to get her favorite toy. The tiny two-star hotel that she walked into had a blue and red-colored neon sign above its door that said, Stardust Hotel. The sign was old and worn out like the place itself. By the time I reached this decrepit establishment and went into the lobby, she had vanished. There was no one at the front desk. I heard the soft click of a door handle somewhere down the hotel's long narrow corridor. Cautiously, I walked to the end of the corridor. Maybe this was a setup for unsuspecting idiots who get sucked in by seduction gambits just like this and end up relieved of their money and credit cards. The door to the last room had been purposely left ajar. Foolishly. I pushed it open all the way and went inside. Chapter 11 What happened next was one of those moments in life that you keep coming back to over and over again. Every time you visit the movie theater of your memory, a new detail or sensation from that experience dawns on you. Every single time the scene screens, you wonder how you could have missed this or that important detail saw that particular film in my head for many years to come i always loved going to the movies especially the ones inside my head my movie theater wasn't grandiose certainly not a multiplex or anything like that it was tiny and run down like the spectacle theater on south 3rd street williamsburg its seats stained from years of buttered popcorn soda and fruit juice just like the spectacle I always chose the same seat on the left side, back row of my brain. Films I watched were varied, coming as snippets since they were mostly memories. Sometimes they screened as vignettes, sometimes in incoherent bits and pieces without narrative. They were prolonged frozen moments without movement, nothing more than an emotion hanging in the air. I adored them all. I was willingly trapped inside that movie theater. I'd volunteered to be taken hostage without anyone to negotiate my release. It was great to not have a future, to become a prisoner of the present. What happened next in that room at the Stardust Hotel would become vital footage of my own personal Cinematheque. Except for a few slits of milky moonlight squeezing through some Venetian blinds, it's mostly dark in there. Outside, I could see the silhouette of the Brooklyn Bridge looming high above couldn't see her, but I could hear her breathing. I moved toward the bed in the center of the room and sat down cautiously. The bedspread had a velvety texture. When I leaned back on my hands, I realized that my palms were sweaty. Since childhood, that has been a red flag for me, a sign of self-preservation. Sweaty palms meant that warning lights were blinking simultaneously all over my body. Circuits were about to be shorted out, and an explosion was imminent. It was my body's primal signal that my insides were stirring with excitement and the trouble I had. It was me telling me that I should stand up and immediately walk out of the Stardust Hotel. But I didn't. I heard her moving onto the bed behind me. I froze. All my doubts vanished in a heartbeat. I had no time to get away. Time had stopped. She came up from behind and covered my eyes with her hands. Her palms were moist, too. Compassion for her swept over me right away. I wanted to say, I know how you feel, my love. My love? Yes, my mouth was ready to call her my love right then and there. Not me. I was too scared of those words. You see, my mouth is a survivor. It has said many things, good and bad, violent and sweet. My mouth had gotten away with plenty it had been punched around as well. It had bit, spit, licked, and suckled and chewed. You name it, my mouth had done it. Even though I didn't know how to deal with life, my mouth did. I'd always envied my mouth for knowing how to handle both pain and pleasure. My mouth was a risk taker, not me. All I could manage to whisper was, what's your name? Her hands were soft and tender. They smelled of lavender. Her fingers glided down over my eyes and cheeks until they rested on my lips. She sealed my lips with her fingers and whispered, Shh. It sounded like a gentle evening breeze. I obeyed without question. The ensuing silence was exciting and terrifying. From somewhere, she brought out a black silk scarf, and the next thing I knew, she was tying it over my eyes securing it with a tight knot at the back of my head. Then she started slowly unbuttoning my shirt. When her lips softly touched my chest, I didn't feel it at first. But as she began to cover my body with more passionate kisses, my chest warmed up and welcomed her wet lips. I raised my arms and tried to hug her. She stepped back out of my reach immediately and placed my hands back on my knees. I understood I didn't have permission to touch her. Not yet. Her lips went from my chest onto my shoulders, and circled around my neck, and finally ended up on top of my head. i have never been kissed so thoroughly, so meticulously. Yet I had no permission to kiss her back, nor touch her. Her lips caressed my upper crown chakra, the one that every book claims to be about spiritual well-being. The purple chakra on top of the head, represented by a thousand petal lotus. The experts would tell you that that chakra is our connection to the gods. But those know everything gurus, those keepers of the secrets of the Himalayan mountains, never mention the goddess. And this goddess kissed my upper chakra, I didn't become a spiritual being. I turned into a wolf again. A wild animal. I felt like running on four legs, wagging my tail and showing my teeth. Suddenly, I had the intense desire to start howling again. Feeling so primitive was both relieving and empowering. Life seemed so much simpler. My one-track mind wanted to take her completely, to lick her face, to dominate her. There was dirt under my fingernails. I smelled blood. Suddenly, my neck started twisting one way and the other. I got chills all over my body and an inexplicable smile stretched across my face from one ear to the other. I was feeling powerful. My muscles were swelling, and blood was rushing down my neck like a wild river. Chapter 12. She was now undressed. I felt her nude body radiating heat and desire after being freed from her dress and underwear. She pulled the scarf off my eyes. It took me a few moments to see her in the faint moonlight coming through the blinds. There she was, at the top of the bed, reclining against the pillows and headboard, naked. Her body was screaming beauty, perfect in all shapes and colors. Her skin shone in the dark, beaming an inner light. Just looking at her made me fall apart. Bits and pieces of me were toppling into a black hole. I took a deep breath and tried to balance myself before my chaotic descent to nothingness. It was useless to resist her. She smelled of love. With every breath, I inhaled her, taking in as much love as my lungs could hold. She had poured red wine into two teacups and now gave me one of them. I saw in her eyes that she didn't want me to touch her yet. She just wanted me to look at her and take her in with my eyes. In my time, I had seen a great many mortal women naked in various places with various lighting and sometimes under creepy circumstances. Few had served me lousier wine than this cheap $4.99 Merlot that she had poured for us. Yet, I had never seen a naked goddess before. My eyes scrutinized her breasts, her thighs, her knees, then went back to her mouth, her nose, her eyes, then down her bare legs to her tiny feet. It was so strange that all of her seemed so familiar to me, as if I'd been born into the delightful landscape of her body. I had a feeling I'd spent my youth in between her thighs, my childhood between her breasts, and now as an adult, I was returning home to take over her lips. Suddenly, she started giggling. The sound of her laughter was so crystal clear it was almost biblical. People sounded different in biblical times they had no noise back then, no cars, no airplanes, no traffic, they heard one another differently. I was hearing her in that way. So clearly it hurt my ears. Her laughter was loud and contagious, I couldn't contain myself. The situation was as funny to her as it was scary to me. She laughed out of joy. I started laughing out of fear, but we laughed together, naked on the bed, laughing, desiring one another still laughing. Neither of us had any words to utter, you know what I mean? Those important sounding combinations of consonants and vowels that we all use to communicate with one another? They had vanished, just gone. They had disappeared without a trace, we didn't need them. Words were smart enough to see what was happening and voluntarily leave us alone. We didn't have to speak. Bodies were talking for us. Our eyes, our hands, our souls were talking. Our breathing, our heartbeats were talking too. She took my hand and placed it on her breast. Her lovely round nipple was tender. I was feeling the life source underneath. I cupped her other breast. Her breast felt precious and electrifying. She reached out softly for my shoulders and her eyes locked under my eyes. She seemed to be searching for something, something very deep and mysterious, something unknown to me. Like lasers, her eyes surgically removed all my protective layers, one after another, until she found what she was looking for. Whatever it was, I could see the discovery had put her completely at ease. She smiled slightly, and she kissed my hand. This goddess had crowned me as her master and now was making me feel as if she were my slave. Her thighs opened slightly. Slowly, she dipped a finger into her teacup of wine and placed it into my mouth like a gesture of forgiveness. I licked my lips. My tongue confirmed my nose. It was that pitiful 4 dollars Merlot that's made from the widow grape. You find it in supermarkets in the cheap wine section usually on sale and known for provoking bitter tears. The vintners who made that wine should have been thrown into jail for stopping the fermentation process prematurely with sulfates in order to hurry their product to market. Instead of soft and velvety, this chateau screw top was harsh and aggressive. It was a sacrilege, not only the vintage, but for what I was about to do with the goddess after we set the teacups down on the nightstand. She had taken a drink of that dreadful wine, but didn't swallow it. I thought that was because the stuff was so bad she couldn't drink it. But after swishing the Merlot around in her mouth, she spewed it out and erupted into kinky laughter. Crimson liquid splayed all over her breasts and belly. Suddenly tears were rolling down her cheeks, and her wonderful face flashed a broad grin. She was laughing and crying at the same time. She moved closer to me. I stopped thinking about that lousy Merlot when her tongue hungrily slipped in between my lips. She pushed deep inside my mouth up to my brain. She was dripping wet. We were swept away into the open ocean. There was no help to be seen for a million miles around. I thought I might as well drown quickly. And I did. Chapter 13 I opened my eyes early the next morning didn't feel like the next day, but more like a millennium or two had passed by me. I felt light as a feather, ethereal. A strong wind could have blown me away. Most importantly, she was no longer next to me. Light ropes had been attached to my wrists. Her black silk scarf was still around my neck. I had lipstick all over my body. Later, I would discover in the mirror some bite marks and bruises on my neck. I had no recollection of being tied up the night before. That type of crap had never appealed to me anyway. I tried to recapture the events of the night before moment by moment. Problem was that my mind seemed to go blank right after our first long kiss. Clearly, there was a roadblock in my upper chakra. I jumped out of bed and looked in the bathroom for her. She was long gone. As I hurriedly got dressed, I noticed $300 cash conveniently placed on top of the nightstand. Wait a minute. That wasn't my money. What was that about? Could it be? What? I couldn't believe that I was thinking that she'd left the money as some sort of payment. She'd paid me for sex? I sat back down on the bed, stunned. I thought we'd had something special together. But she'd left me money as if I was a whore. She treated me like a fucking prostitute. I couldn't even begin to comprehend that. I was so humiliated. She must have set it all up. Yeah, she'd picked me up at the hole, arranged the cheap wine and the scarf, and led me to the shittiest shithole in Brooklyn, the stardust hotel, to have her way with me. Everything had been planned out. How would you do that? I had to find out. I couldn't let someone treat me like a whore and get away with it. Thank God I wasn't a woman. Is this what they go through? I had never understood it before then. My goddess wasn't a woman. She was the devil. A fucking terrorist. A one-world government conspirator. Was she working for the CIA? Mossad? My blood pressure went up like a rocket. Clearly I couldn't leave that hotel room intact. Look, I'm prone to violent outbursts. Inside, I'm an angry man struggling to tame the beast. Nowadays, I'm much better at subduing the wolf. Or is it a bear that lives inside me? But at that moment, couldn't stand in its way. Neither could I damage that shitty hotel and cause the kind Puerto Rican family who owned it any more headaches than they already had. I decided to do something stupid but symbolic to show how I felt. I found a thin metal spoon inside a teacup that was stained red from the horrible Merlot. Clearly, she had planned it all around that fucking teacup. I took the spoon and twisted it violently, and then doubled it and doubled it again. Finally, I bent its head back and forth until the metal gave way and it cracked off. Then I tossed the headless wreck of a spoon back inside the teacup and walked out.